At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Today we're going to begin a new uh, post-Easter message series that's focused on the practice that Jesus had of coaching people into new life by asking them strategic searching questions. Uh, questions that cause us to think, uh, to make new uh, connections, questions that bring fresh new insights to tired old issues, questions that empower us to act and move and grow on our own, life-changing questions. You might find it interesting to, that um, in the Gospels, Jesus asks 307 different questions. He is asked 183 questions, and he chose to answer fewer than 10 of those questions directly. Now, maybe that shouldn't surprise us because uh, wise teachers always ask questions of their students rather than just lecturing at them or dispensing quick and, and easy answers. And when you read the stories uh, about Jesus in the Bible and his encounters with people, you realize that he had absolutely perfected the ancient practice of asking questions as a way of encouraging and catalyzing new growth. One of my favorite stories, in fact, is about a Jewish rabbi who was asked by one of his students, why is it, Master, that whenever we ask you a question, you always respond with a question of your own? And the rabbi said, why not? This was Jesus' preferred method and practice. Rather than dispensing quick and easy answers, he would almost always ask a penetrating and probing question. Now, when I suggest that Jesus uses questions to coach us into new life, I want to be sure that we're all on the same page. First of all, by using the word coach, I'm not referring to athletics in any way. 
Secondly, a coach is not a mentor. Uh, there's a big difference. I am mentoring several young United Methodist uh, pastors currently. Uh, they sometimes call with very specific questions related to the practice of ministry, and I usually give them direct, straight answers. But I'm also serving as a coach to several folks currently, and I receive some specialized coach training to prepare me to serve them well. Coaching is very different from mentoring. With coaching, the goal is not to dispense answers, but to ask targeted, insightful questions that direct um, attention to strategic growth in certain areas of life. The questions that a coach asks are designed to be more helpful than quick answers and less demanding than long lectures. Ideally, a coach asks questions that encourage us to think on our own, questions that ultimately hold us accountable for our own growth and our own actions. Originally, the word coach referred to a means of transporting a person from one location to another. I mean, we've all heard of a stagecoach. Uh, most of us who travel by air fly coach. Uh, and my use of the term uh, conveys the idea of inner travel, whereby a person moves from one place to another by responding to questions and taking actions. This movement results in growth transporting you toward the person that you were meant to be. And that's the sense in which Jesus is our ultimate life coach. So over the coming weeks, I want uh, you to see each of these messages as maybe something like a weekly coaching session with Jesus. Because during each session, we're going to look at a question asked by Jesus and massage the idea just a bit to see what application it might have to our personal lives right here right now. And I believe that you'll uncover new and fresh perspectives from old familiar passages. And along the way, I'm also going to ask a few additional questions for reflection and action. Reflection without action yields little growth, and action without reflection becomes mere busyness that doesn't result in any real life change. So with that as an introduction to this series, I want us to move into our first uh, coaching session, if you will, with Jesus this morning. In our story from Matthew, Jesus is having one of his many encounters with the Pharisees, the religious rite of his day. And just prior to this, in the closing verses of chapter 11, Jesus had made it clear that he didn't come to place any heavy burdens on people. In fact, he said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light, easy to bear. Then Jesus' disciples walked through a wheat field. And because they are hungry, they took their hands and pulled some grains of wheat from the stalk and popped it in their mouths, kind of like an RC cola and some peanuts, you know, a common snack in the South as a kid for me. And immediately the Pharisees protest, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting on the Sabbath. And in typical fashion, Jesus responds with three questions. Question number one, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. David and his men ate the 12 loaves that were on the table of shoe bread in the temple. Only the priests were allowed by law to touch that bread. But David and his men had a need. They were hungry. 
Clearly, Jesus is saying that human need always takes precedent over the letter of the law. So whenever there is a tension between correct belief and compassionate behavior, choose compassion. Question number two asked by Jesus, And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices. Or, excuse me, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus is pointing out that even the temple uh, ritual itself involves work on the Sabbath, lighting fires, preparing and slaughtering animals, lifting them onto the altar, and a host of other duties. And then he quotes Hosea 6, 6. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. My favorite translation reads this way, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. So again, Jesus is saying that what God desires more than correct belief or ritual sacrifice is kindness, compassion, and love, which answers the call of human need. Then Jesus goes over to the synagogue where he noticed someone who needed healing. And again, the Pharisees challenged him by asking, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And Matthew makes it clear that they were trying to catch Jesus in a trap so they could bring charges against him. And again, rather than answering them directly, he asks question number three. If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? And so again, Jesus is pointing to the value of human life and the priority of human need. So I want us to take a step back for a moment and ask a few questions um, for all of us to consider. Just how does this teaching from Jesus touch our lives? What are we called to do in response to these words from Christ? In what ways might we have to stretch and change and, and grow in order to maintain the priority of Christ-like love over strict adherence to the letter of the law? So I want to offer a couple of suggestions. One way that we can make sure that we're, we're following the teaching of Christ here is we should not confuse religion with faith. I have a conviction that some people confuse religion with faith. Jesus never claimed to be a religious leader. In fact, in this coaching session, Jesus clarifies the difference between spiritual growth and mere religious activity. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was not against uh, organized worship. He visited and taught in the temple. He valued the fact that everything in life had some sense of organization, whether the cycle of the seasons, the rhythm of day and night, the intricacies of the human body. But Jesus focused on the essence of real faith and devotion by differentiating package from contents, style from significance, medium from message, symbolism from meaning, performance from purpose, means from ends, and tradition from traditionalism. 
So that leads to the second thing that I think we can focus on to follow this teaching of Jesus is we shouldn't confuse tradition with traditionalism. Tradition is the repetition of a meaningful and a worthy practice. Whereas traditionalism is paying homage to a practice that is devoid of its original purpose. Someone has wisely said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And to be honest, sometimes we simply romanticize our own religious practices and lose the real meaning behind those practices. When we come to church only to feel good, only to have our needs met, uh, we lose the real meaning and power of worship, for instance. We forget why we're here. Uh, we should always keep before us the question, why are we here at 204 South 9th Street in Columbia, Missouri? We are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ and make a real difference in the world. When the religious zealots of Jesus' day uh, elevated the value of the Sabbath, the dedicated day of worship, above the act of helping and serving others, which was a higher priority for Jesus, they lost the true meaning of the Sabbath. And Jesus was not advocating that they ignore a day of God worship, but He was pointing out the very subtle line between worshiping God and the traditions of God worship that we have created ourselves. And then the third handle maybe we can get on how to follow this teaching of Jesus is we should never confuse religious practice with spiritual growth. Spiritual growth and worship must take forms, but human nature often confuses the package with its true contents. Earlier when Jesus' followers had asked Him to teach them how to pray, for instance, He told them not to pray as the pagans do, with meaningless chatter. And He gave them a model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. And I'd bet that most of us avid churchgoers can rattle off this prayer like a child chants a nursery rhyme, barely engaging the heart or the brain. So ironically, the prayer given by Jesus as an antidote to meaningless babble can become just that. Because when we recite prayers, when we perform rituals and religious activities, when we read scriptures by rote without uh, engaging the mind and the heart, those activities do little to shape and mature and form us. And some people even look at the religious practice or traditions of others and actually allow them to interfere with their own spiritual growth. I'm not going to be like one of those hypocrites. They piously go to church but don't really act like Jesus. All organized religion is bogus. Let's, letting someone else's worship of a religious tradition turn you off to your own soul growth is a weak excuse for failing to develop your own vibrant and vital worship relationship with God. In other words, the reverence for having no religious traditions is just as detrimental as placing an overemphasis on traditions themselves. So all of this suggests several key things. Maybe we could consider these lessons from the coach, Jesus. We mustn't allow repetitive acts of worship to wear a callus on our souls. We ought to let God surprise us from time to time. Maybe we should intentionally tear up some of the boxes containing our tamed deity. And we should keep worship and devotion to God fresh and alive. 
Jesus' words also invite, even implore us to consider how our religion gets in the way of our spiritual growth. Here's what he's asking you. How might your practice of religious traditions hinder authentic, deeper spiritual growth? Is religion or faith more important to you? Are you more concerned with looking good or with doing right? As a congregation, Jesus' words challenge us to ask several searching questions too. How is the way we conduct our worship services, the way we live our life together, the way we serve the community around us, helping us to connect all people to Jesus Christ, which is our mission? How can we keep from placing heavy burdens on people who are seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ? How can we remove the barriers that make people hesitant to connect with our congregation? How can we become more invitational, truly invitational, as a church family? The truth is that our traditions and our religious practices can become little more than divine bridles, making us think that we can rein in the Almighty One as we desire. But it's an illusion. And we often allow illusions to have great power over us. And even good habits can lose their benefit and their purpose as grooves that keep us on track become ruts that prevent us from growing and changing. So I want to suggest three qualities of fresh and vital faith in Christ as we close. First, a fresh faith, a vital faith in Christ keeps growing. Genuine faith... And real spiritual growth is always open to new truths from God. A call to discipleship is always a call to grow in faith, to think, to stretch, to wonder, to probe, to struggle with questions, to love God with our minds. For that reason, we need to be aware of any religious observance that shuts down thinking. We need to be aware of any religion that says, here's what to believe. Learn this, accept that, swallow this, don't ask questions, don't bring up any new ideas, don't offer any challenges. Because fresh faith says all truth is from God, so let me learn. Stale spirituality says don't confuse me with the facts, do it my way or you're lost. But fresh faith keeps on growing and learning, it's open, it doesn't close the book on truth. Genuine faith is like a parachute. It works best when open. Secondly, genuine faith works in daily life. It's not an insurance policy for another day. Uh, it makes us better people right here, right now. Fresh faith is not just something that dwells on the past or longs for the future. It works now. It speaks to us now. It shapes our behavior now. It makes us whole now. Uh, United Methodist Bishop Arthur Moore Love to tell a story, <laughs> and I like this story, of a man who had been away from his home church for many years, involved in all kinds of shady practices and criminal activities. But when he came back to his home church and testimony time came on this Sunday evening service, he was ready. He stood and he said, I am so glad to be back in my own home church. And I want to tell you that while it's true that I have abused my spouses, deserted my children, stolen and lied and done all manner of evil and served several terms in jail. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that not once in all of that time did I ever lose my religion.
Now, can I say that if your religion is nothing more than an insurance policy for heaven, if it has no effect on how you live your life and how you treat others, it is not a fresh, authentic faith. Because real faith works now in practical daily living, and it gives us a strong sense of a personal partnership and connectedness with God. And then finally, genuine faith, fresh faith, makes us more loving. This was always Jesus' test. For him, love was the measuring stick for genuine faith. Love was the most reliable and most authentic sign of Christian discipleship. That's why Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another even as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Paul was dramatic and to the point when he said, what does it matter if you can speak with tongues, perform miracles, quote reams of scripture, spout high-sounding theology, even sacrifice your own life if you don't have love? It's all empty and worthless. Fresh faith doesn't say what's in it for me. Rather, it says, what can I do for God? How can I serve others? Genuine faith always makes us more loving. Let's pray. Oh, life-giving Lord, we pray that our worship traditions and our religious practice will always enhance rather than hamper our relationship with you. We know that you yearn for real heart devotion and desire that we be motivated by our love for others. And so may our worship never become stale, cold, external. Keep our faith in you fresh and alive and real. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for online worship. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.